Revelation chapter 1, we're starting in verse 12 today. So I told you uh, last week we had our Easter special, but I told you make sure you come back. I told everybody to come back. Half of them don't listen for nothing. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah, it is raining, though. Raining. Yeah. If it's too sunny, they don't come in. If it's raining, they don't come in. We just need overcast days every Sunday, and we'll pack it out. <laughs> oh, Chris says he can't come in if it's overcast. Oh. All jokes aside, I, I tell you that I'm excited about the Word of God today. I, I went back and forth uh, what I was supposed to preach today. I was actually about to take a break from Revelation for one week because of some weighty issues that I've been dealing with, and... Uh, I thought about doing that. I've looked at a few other texts that kind of dealt with some of the issues that I've been dealing with, with not just people in the congregation, but people in general that, you know, look to me for maybe some advice or I'm just trying to help them or whatever. And uh, I, you know, was really praying and asking the Lord, what do you want me to do? Do I just need to keep on going to Revelation or do I need to kind of put that on hold to address a, a, a few situations? Not that I would address any of your particular situations from up here, that's not the place for it, but that there's just some things in general that several people in the congregation are dealing with, and so sometimes I have to address some of those issues uh, from more of a um, public way so we can kind of touch base and say, okay, what is God leading in this way? What is God showing us in the Word in this way? If all of us are kind of struggling with similar things, and it may just be that the enemy's attacking a bunch of people in the church in, the, in a certain way or whatever. So I'll tell you all that to say that I believe God's right on time. And as I studied, as I've been studying Revelation, as I was looking today at the first vision that John has of Jesus Christ, you know, the Lord told me, you know, pretty plainly, he said, look, Brandon, you don't have to go anywhere else. I'm going to address some of those issues right here in this text. And I said, okay, Lord, I'm just going to preach the text and we're going to let the chips fall where they may. Um, so this morning, I want you to be praying with me. And this is where, this is where I kind of am, you know, and I've said this from the very beginning. I don't, I'm not very good at like putting on a show or, you know, I'm not very good at like making, you know, sure people aren't offended and all that. I don't, that's just not part of my gift. And my wife's helped me to get better at it. Um, but you know, I kind of just say what I'm thinking and you know, what the text is saying and. If it's something that you don't like, you just got to deal with, with the text. You know, it's not like I'm making it up. So I say that in order to just prepare you because our culture is, is breeding and developing a bunch of silly, me-centered, weak men and women who have no idea, they don't remember what loyalty is, they don't, they don't understand what committedness is, they don't know what self-sacrifice is, they don't know what selfless living is. Our world tells us, and we have bought it, that it's all about me, 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 me. I am God, and you fold to whatever whim is, that, uh, is, is on my mind or is, is coming out of my mouth. 
And if we don't do that, then we pitch hissy fits and we, we lay down on the floor, metaphorically speaking, sometimes physically, and we kick our legs and we smash our hands and we say, well, I just don't want it to be like that. And we walk out on everybody and anybody to the devastation of anybody around us and we just don't care. Well, that, that does not align with the God of the Bible and the, respo- the proper response that human beings are supposed to have to him. Amen. It just doesn't make any sense. And if you know me, I'm a logical person. Now, I don't always do all of these things rightly. I don't. Sometimes I mess up. But there are men of God who can come to me then and say, you're living uh, biblically inconsistent, and here's where you need to change. You are wrong. And I have to say, amen, got me. But too many times, even when I come to a man, even when, when I come to a person, I say, you are living outside of the scriptures, and this is only to people who claim to be Christians. Problem is, so many people claim to be Christians. Well, I don't mind calling them liars. You say, well, that's not your place to judge, preacher. Well, I just open up the Bible and it says the tree will be known by the fruit that it bears. And I tell them, I say, looks to me like you're not a believer. Now, maybe you are. But if that's the case, then you need to repent. You say, this is what the Bible says. This is what you say. You're wrong. It's right. Now change. Well, I don't want to. Well, then you have no evidence that you are a believer. That is the intro to the sermon. Amen. Amen. Because what we're about to see... Is Jesus Christ show up? And I want to ask every single one of you. When you hear where the word of God hits where you are off. And every single one of us are off in some way. Then you, then you own it. You get down off of your high horse. And you get down on your face. And you ask the Lord to forgive you. Grant you repentance. And overcome this through sanctification. The word is what sets us free. You're about to hear the word of God. Change your life. Let it change your life. Repent. Okay, now, let's get into the scriptures. In verse 12, we've, I'll give you just a hair of context and, and reminder since it's been two weeks since I've preached. We saw where John, uh, he says in verse 9, your brother and partner in the tribulation and in the kingdom and in the patient endurance. We see how this, this three-part uh, parenthesis that he puts on what he's about to say and who he's writing to. He says, I'm your brother and partner in the tribulation and in the kingdom and the patient endurance of Jesus Christ. And we saw that this is almost a formula for the glorification of the saints. So John says, I'm not waiting on a tribulation. It's going to get worse. It's going to get a lot worse. But the, the tribulation is already inaugurated. It's already started. And he says, I'm your brother and partner in the tribulation. He also says at the same 
time, I am your brother and partner in the kingdom. And all of this unfolds and comes to this place of glory and redemption, the second coming where Jesus Christ does everything that he's going to do. He goes ahead and finishes everything to the, to the uttermost, to the, to the greatest degree. And, and they, the people of God who are suffering along with John, will be brought into the fulfillment of the kingdom and into their kingly, priestly roles in a greater way through what? Patient endurance in Jesus Christ. So trials are coming, hard times are coming, but the sign of the believer is that he will always persevere. This is perfectly in line with what I'm about to tell you because too many people are jumping ship. Too many people are leaving the faith, leaving their families, leaving their churches, leaving their relationships. Why? Because a little bit of trial comes. And who we're talking about is John, who's been exiled to the island of Patmos, who, who suffered all types of horrible persecution. But this man is telling you to hang on. Amen. Stick it out even when it's hard. As a matter of fact, when it gets hard, that's the greater opportunity to preach the gospel with your life. Because it's easy to love those who love you. When your wife is, you know, when she's cleaning the house and when she's, she's mopping the floor and, and she's doing all of these things, she, you show up from work and she's got a plate of, of fried chicken and mashed potatoes and, and, and macaroni in one hand, right? Your favorite beverage in the other hand, inner lingerie. You're like, I love you, baby. Woo, woo. I love you, right? But when you come home and she's got a headache, you hate her. Hey, babe, I got a headache. Hey, babe, I got a headache. You say, I can't live with that woman anymore. You're an idiot. I've said it many, many times. When your wife is acting stubborn and when she won't do what you think she should do, not that my wife ever does that, but when, when your wife, who's not as good as my wife, acts crazy, <laughs> that is your opportunity to be Jesus. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen? You've got you to use these opportunities. Well, John says, look, we're in the tribulation, it's tough, but we're in the kingdom, it's inaugurated too. And one day it'll be fully realized through the patient endurance, the, per the perseverance of the saints, that we do work out our salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is God who is at work in us, both the will and the work, work for his good pleasure. That he will uh, draw these things to completion. He will finish this work, right, in the day of redemption. So that all this lines up. So right here is what he's going to say is, is that he said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice. It's this prophetic, uh, this prophetic vision, this prophetic word that he got and it's going through the, to the churches and this, what he's about to say, what he saw is going to be the meat of the promise that he holds on to, to carry him through those tribulations. 
So he said, listen, there's going to be tribulation. There, we're, in the, we're in the tribulation. We're in the kingdom. We need to patiently endure. Uh, but this is, this is how we're going to do it. He wrote to the churches. The churches are going to get some, some whippings here in just a little while. They're going to get some uh, commendations. Some of them better. Some of them worse. But here's what he's saying. Hard times are coming, and this is what you're going to need to sustain you. So to all of you out there who is in a struggle, to all of you out there who your marriages, and I know that marriages right now are being attacked to the greatest degree at the well that I've ever seen before. It's just point blank, period, that's the way it is. And you may say, yep, I'm in that too. Well, let me tell you something right now, man of God. Let me tell you something right now, woman of God. Don't you leave. Don't you leave. Stay. And let me tell you how to stay. You're going to stay if you cast your eyes on Christ. Because then it won't matter. It won't be a contract anymore, but it'll be a covenant. We're not in contract with our wives, men. We're not in contract with our husbands, wives. We're in a covenant. And what that means is, is that it doesn't matter the things that they do. You shouldn't have expectations on them that will keep you around. But you should be loving them even when they're unlovable. And the way that you do that is to cast your eyes on Christ who died for us while we were yet sinners. You didn't deserve the love that he gave. So you say, my wife doesn't deserve my love. I don't care. Christ died for you while you were undeserving. Now you give that love right back to her. It's the only way you can actually even love her anyway. So I want you to see the vision that John got that is going to carry him through this tribulation and is going to be the foundation of all the words that he would say after this. Now, I could spend at least, at least 36 hours preaching verses 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16. That's no joke. Keith, am I joking? Probably more. He could probably do more. Okay? But today we're going to cover this section right here, and I won't go into all the intricate details because here's the cool thing about Revelation. Revelation will stretch you. It will push you, if you will let it, into the Old Testament. It will push you to make connections that you never saw before. It will ha actually open up your understanding of Old Testament texts, what they were written for in their original context, and their greater implications about Christ that it shows us here in Revelation and other parts of the Bible. Because you can't read the book of Daniel. If you read through Revelation or by, and then read Daniel and Zechariah and Exodus and Isaiah, if you, or vice versa, if you read Isaiah and Zechariah and Daniel and all that, and then you read Revelation, you're going to go, Wow. Wow. And then you'll see that the promises were always in Christ. And that he's never left us. He's never, he's never switched it up on us. That he's always been there. He will always be there. And Daniel calls him the Ancient of Days. I love it. It's one of my favorite names for Christ. Meaning that he is the foundation that all of this must hinge on. You want to survive through your marriage? Jesus you want to love your wife when she's unworthy? Jesus. You want to be able to forgive your stupid husband? Jesus. You cannot do it without him. You want to be able to do the things you want to do and not do the things you don't want to do? Jesus. You want to be set free from this body of death? Jesus. 
So let's look at the vision of Jesus that, that John gets is going to be the, the foundation of all this. Let's stand to our feet for the reading of God's word <clears throat> out of respect and reverence. Revelation chapter 1 verse 12, <clears throat> John says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of God, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. I'm going to read a little bit more, but those are our texts. When I saw him, ooh, this is the, I might have to get into this one too. He said, John, when he saw him, he said, this is John speaking. He said, when I saw him, now I want to know, I want to know when you see Jesus, do you have a similar, similar reaction? And if you don't, you might ain't seen him. I know that wasn't correct grammar, but you might ain't seen him. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore the things you have seen. And it goes on. That's where I'll stop. Lord Jesus, please bless the reading and the hearing of your word. Help it to be written on our hearts and to change our lives forever. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. What powerful scripture this is if you have a foundation to understand just exactly what John is trying to get across to us. Now, I am well aware because I've done it before that many of you have read this text, you've read this scripture before and you're like, I don't have a clue what he's talking about. That don't make no sense. That don't make me love Jesus more. I'm just looking at it going, that's weird. A lampstand? Stars? Wow, a sash around his chest? You know, that could even almost seem kind of girly, you know what I'm saying? He's got, he's got a nice sash. What does it say, you know, king of kings, you know, is it frilly? Is it got some sparkles on it, right? You read this text and you don't, if you don't have any understanding of the Old Testament, if you're unwilling to open up a commentary and see what connections they might make, you know, and you say, well, that's just for pastors and theologians. No, you need to understand that every Christian is a theologian. Some are just terrible. That's just the way it is. And now you've got no excuses because Blue Letter Bible, um, uh, Bible Gateway, uh, all, all BibleHub.com, all of these places have probably, I don't know, $5,000 worth of commentaries free of charge. Pull it up and read 20 different ones. Before all of that, and I actually was a little before all of that, believe it or not, you know, I thought I was young, but I was actually, we was talking to Titus the other day, some guys at the bucket group, and they said, you know what I said? They were talking about a cassette tape. And it just hit me, you know, that I used to listen to cassettes. They often, you know how to stick the pencil in and wind them back? And uh, I said, Titus. I was just curious. Yeah, your car. Ty, uh, Robert's car he's driving right now, it, it has a cassette tape in it. Does it sometimes get a little wild and go, and then you have to pull the tape out and all that tape's hanging out of it, and you're like, 
You know, who's done that before? Huh? You're winding that thing back up. Well, I asked Titus, I called Titus over there, and I said, Titus, you know what a cassette tape is? He said, a cassette who? <laughs> it literally is a cassette tape. It's like an eight-track player when I was young, I think. I yeah? Hey, Mark, don't tell anybody, dog. You... <laughs> who in here had records? Records. Okay, you tell on yourself. Eight-track players? Yeah. 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 I, I'll, I'll get some of, some of you about my age. Who knows what this is? Huh? That was the code, baby. Certain speed works every time. <laughs> Nintendo, for those of you who don't know what that was. Why was I saying any of that? I have no idea. Oh. You don't have any context to be able to understand when I'm talking to Titus. Or actually, they're having a conversation about uh, Robert's car. His, and if Titus was standing there, he wasn't standing there. I called him over. But if he had been standing there, he would have had no idea what he was talking about. It's just talking. It's just talking. And the same is true here. If you won't take a little bit of time to understand what some of these words and some of these pictures are, then you're just going to read through this. And it's not like you're a stupid person or, you know, a bad person. You just don't have the, you don't have the right tools to be able to understand it. That's why you've got to take a little time, get into a commentary or talk to somebody or whatever. But you're going to read right through this. You're going to say, well, that's, that's okay. That's cool, I guess. It's weird, but whatever. Well, let's, let's get a little bit of context in it. And I don't have time. I've been trying to figure out the balance of how to preach Revelation. Because I'm a kind of a technical guy, and I like to know all the details. My wife thinks I'm weird, you know. And, and I, you know, I'm not as bad as some, but I'm worse than others. Like, I want to know how that works. You know what I'm saying? Where is that reference? Why did he say lampstands? Why are there seven? You know, there was only one in the tabernacle. Why is there seven now? Why is it, you know, what is, what is all these connections and things? I want to see all that stuff. But you really do need to understand how it fits together if, it, if you want any meaning from it whatsoever. Okay, so let's, now I've been going back and forth. How do I preach Revelation? How much historical context do I give? Do I just go back? Because I could, it's hard for me to know because I can start preaching in Revelation and then end up start, you know, I'll end preaching in Daniel or Zechariah or whatever. So, Pray for me that I would know how to preach it and preach it accurately without taking 18 years to do so. All right. So let's get into this. It says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. The first thing here is, and we've already kind of touched on this, because he said previously, he said when he was speaking, he said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see. So we see that this is a type of prophecy that it was given in picture form, but meant to be conveyed, conveyed in language. So this is a prophetic book, and we've already kind of established some of that. This is the uh, apocalypse. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. So these pictures are meant to tell us about Jesus Christ in a language that we should be able to understand. A lot of times people think revelation is just a mystery, and it's, and it's actually written in code form so that people can't understand it. But that's exactly opposite. It's that this is the revelation 
revelation or the unveiling of Jesus Christ. Not the veiling of Jesus Christ. The only reason it's veiled is because you won't take the time to understand the context in which it's written and go ahead and get that uh, that decoder that would make it easy to understand. And listen, it's not as though they had to get a decoder. You need to understand that the, the people he's writing to, they would have understand and got received all of this through oral tradition as well as being written uh, the Old Testament part of it. And it would have been very common for them. It would have been like me talking to some of you who raised your hands with a cassette player. It'd be like me talking to you about cassette players. You don't have a hard time understanding it at all. Even when I didn't even say anything, I just started doing like this. You know what that is. You know exactly. You actually popped into your head a picture of a cassette tape with a big brown thing hanging out of it, and you're winding it back in, hoping it will still work and it wouldn't crinkle too bad. Right? You, are, you have that tool. You have that device to be able to understand exactly what I'm saying. Well, here it is the same way. And he's given this picture format that is meant to convey a message to us and we need to understand it. So you need to understand that this is prophecy that's given visually but written down uh, with uh, written language so that we can understand. Now he goes on to say, I saw, I, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man. And then it goes on to describe the son of man. Well, the lampstands, he's actually going to uh, interpret for us within the book. In verse uh, 20 of the same chapter, down at the bottom of that verse, at the end of that verse, he says, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the lampstands are the seven churches. So we, he interprets it for us. This is pretty easy to understand. He, he has this vision, and he, so he receives the word. He turns around to see it, and he has this vision. And when he looks, he sees seven golden lampstands standing here, and in the midst of them, one like a son of man. Now, the lampstand would immediately, if you were a Jew, it would immediately take you back to a certain place and a certain story and a certain thing. What would it take you back to? The tabernacle. The menorah in the tabernacle. If you were here when we were going through that whole study, then you'll remember the the seven uh, or the lampstand that had seven uh, leads coming up off of it, one in the center. There'd been three on each side, one in the center, and they would have been uh, that menorah would have been used to light the holy place, not the holy of holies, but the holy place. And who was it? This will be significant when we get into just a couple of more verses. Who was it that was responsible for making sure that the menorah had plenty of light being shown onto the table of showbread, the, uh, the, the table of incense that, that represents the prayers going up of the people of God? Who was responsible for keeping that menorah burning bright? The priest. That's right. So the priest would make sure that there was oil in the lamp. What is the oil always representative of in the scripture? The Holy Spirit. So you see how these things start coming together and we start getting this picture and say, I'm starting to see that now. So you see that the, he looked and he saw uh, seven golden lampstands, which we know is the church. And then he saw one like, the, like a son of man in the midst of the lampstands. Who is that? Jesus. That's right. That's right. Ezekiel uses son of man. Actually, the son of man was Jesus' favorite designation of himself. 
Actually, it was used far more than the Son of God. He used the Son of Man, this this phrase, to identify himself and to kind of highlight the fact that he was fully human. Now, we know that we believe that Jesus Christ is fully God, but he was also fully human. This is the hypostatic union. This is when Jesus Christ, who is God, became a man through incarnation, and he dwelt among us. So he designates himself here as the Son of Man, one that could relate. And if you go through the book of Ezekiel, And I don't have time for all that right now, but go back and read Ezekiel. Go back and read Daniel chapter 10 where it talks about the Son of Man coming. Go and read all of these things and you'll start to say, oh, wow. But what we see here in Revelation chapter 1 verse 12, it says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. Now, this is the seven churches, and it's no accident that John says he's writing to seven churches. And he says here that John is writing to the church of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Uh, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Now, when he says he turns and he sees seven golden lampstands, obviously these are representative of the church, but is is it representative of just these churches? The question is, are these churches representative of just these churches? No, but they're representative of the universal church. That's why there's seven of them. There were far more than seven churches in Asia Minor. There were far more than seven churches that John could have written to. Now, these probably were more uh, prominent churches that would have been influential. Some of them had port cities. Some of them had high trade. There would have been a lot of uh, diversity there. And so it was important to write to these churches. And we know that these messages, these letters are directly uh, impinging or directly uh, uh, written to these churches, but at the same time are written to the church universal. And the, set, the number seven represents this as a total representation of all the churches. I'll point this out and I'll move on. In every single letter to every single church, he, he ends it with this or a form of this. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Plural. He who has an ear, let him hear what the, what the Spirit says to the churches. So as he's writing to uh, Ephesus, as he's writing to Laodicea, he has this same spot at the end of almost, or at the end of every letter, almost written the same way. Let the Spirit, he who has an ear, let the Spirit hear what he says to the churches. Only reason I point that out is that we need to understand that what is written here is for all of us. It's for all the churches of all time, while specifically for those churches as well. So this applies to me and to you. So he says here, he says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. We know that represents the church. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man. Now we know this is Jesus Christ in the midst of the churches. So now you're getting this picture of Jesus Christ standing in the midst of all of these churches. And that word means just in the middle of them. But it means more than just centrally located right in the middle. He is the centerpiece of the church. He must be, or the church won't grow. People have asked me, because we've had growth here, they'll ask me, say, what's your secret, pastor? What, what, what book are you reading? Who are you studying under for church growth strategies? Well, I'm really just an idiot. I work all the time. I don't have time to do a whole lot. I just get up here and run my mouth about the word. It's got to be Jesus. That's the cool thing is that we don't have any full-time staff here except Hambone's kind of full-time now. Well, there's really no such thing as a part-time minister, but you know what I mean. Uh, There's nobody that just works on this church all the time, and that's all they do. There's not one person. Even Hambone is in the uh, schools and in the community, and that's the way we want it. But there's nobody. So we can't really take any credit. We just say, Jesus. 
And if Jesus is not in the center, and we get off of that sometimes, we have to repent. I've got men of God that help me to repent. I try to help you to repent. We try to, we try to take it and steer this big old shit that keeps trying to get away. You know, Hebrews says, be careful lest you drift from the truth. So we try to, we try to keep reining it in, you know, and, and listen to the Lord when he's speaking. But we see here that Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, as he's de- designated here, is in the midst of his church. Let me ask you, is he in the midst of this church? And let me ask you even further, you understand, men of God, men of God, let me talk to you right quick, that you are the pastor of your home. And, and I'm not saying that the home is a church. There's some things that, that need to be true about a church for it to be called a church. But in many ways, that is your congregation. And you need to be preaching the gospel to them. You need to be leading them to the truth. You need to be interceding for them. You need to be leading them to repentance. You need to be putting Jesus Christ at the foundation of your, hand, your family. Let me ask you, men of God, who, who's the priest of your home and the pastor of your home, is Jesus Christ in the midst of your home? You want, to, you want your marriage to survive? You've got to put Christ in the center of it. It says here one uh, that I saw one in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man. Now that automatically takes my mind to Daniel chapter 3. Now the designation in Daniel chapter 3, and I can't get too deep, but it doesn't say son of man, but it does say son of God. But if you remember this, this is the fiery furnace when... Uh, when Daniel went, he was cast into the fiery furnace because he wouldn't bow down to the king. And the king says, heat the furnace. How many times hotter? Seven. Seven. Perfect wrath. <laughs> Perfect persecution. Okay? This is the, does that not, come on. Okay, so Daniel is faithful to Christ. The king says, not, not in my house, son. So he says, heat the furnace seven times. This is perfect persecution. And he throws them in, three of them, right? And they, and they stand and they look, the fire so hot that it kills the guard that throws them in. Amen. Perfect persecution. But as the king looks in, he says, didn't we throw three men in there? He said, behold, I see a fourth man. Amen. One walking around in their midst like a son of God. Bam! Huh? Come on, guys. Come on. You see, in order to escape, I about knocked my bracelet off. In order to escape persecution, we don't get out from under on this side, but the one over on that side carries us through so that they didn't even smell like smoke. John just said, I, your brother and partaker in the tribulation, I looked and I saw the one that was in the furnace with Daniel too. It's the same one that's with me and with you. You got a fire in your marriage? Jesus Christ can wipe the smoke off. I ain't even lying. True story. It says here, he said, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of God. Now, there's so much more. We could go on and on about the son of man, the son of God. We could go on and on and on and on and on and on. But I think Daniel chapter 3 is one of the illusions here that, that, that kind of carries us through that and under, we understand. So we have the son of man, the same one that was with Daniel, the same one that Zechariah saw, the same one that Ezekiel uh, saw and was told about, and he was the foreshadowing of. 
It's the same one who is in the midst of the men and the fire, the the few and the the chosen, those who uh, were carried through not by their own power, not by their own works, not by their own will, but by him who has mercy. And if you'll remember what Daniel said, he said, my God will or can deliver me, but even if he won't, I will not bow down. What do you say? Oh, man of God. Well, my wife won't cook. My wife won't clean. At least she's not burning you with a blowtorch while you sleep. But even if she did. Woo! That ain't the kind of heat I was looking for, baby. (laughs) Jesus Christ provides the power. You can't do it by yourself, guys. Women. Ladies, submit to your husbands in everything as to the Lord. You can't do it apart from Christ. Because the curse on you is that you will desire him. And it ain't that way. But that you'll always be trying to come over him and dominate him. Just like Eve did the poor old Adam. But the second Adam sets us free from this. You see, you can't have a marriage. You can't, have, you can't be a good father. You can't. And Jesus Christ is the only way. He's not a God or one among many, but he is the only God. And no man can come to the Father but by the Son. And no one can come to the Son unless the Father draws him. This is the only path, and it is a narrow path, and it is uncomfortable at times, but that does not change the fact that it is the only way. Jesus Christ laughs and makes fun of other gods. Now, some people don't like when I say Jesus Christ makes fun of things, do they, babe? But he does. He laughs at them. He does. And he knocks their heads off, and they roll across the floor, and I'm sure he just, (laughs) I can see him now. Jesus in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man. Listen to this. Listen to this. Clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. We have to stop there for a second. Now, commentators go back and forth on this of whether this is a priestly garb or it's a kingly garb. This long robe uh, that is, that is uh, it's like a train, that, that kind of makes us lean a little more towards a kingly uh, type presentation of who Christ is. And we see this same type of thing in Revelation 19 where the, his train is, is really long and it's actually pulling through the blood of his enemies. Oh, it's my favorite story to tell my sons. Besides that, when the one where Elisha uh, called and the she-bear came down and whipped all those kids, that one's good too. But So commentators go back and forth. Is this, is this a kingly presentation of Christ or is this a priestly presentation of Christ? I do believe that just, now this is my slant, my understanding of it, is that since he's talking, I think, in context, let's keep with the context, since he's talking about the lampstands and he's talking about uh, being in the midst of the churches, he's going to go on to talk about, in chapter 4, the, the seven uh, torches, which are the Spirit of God. These are lamps that would be on the lampstands. And we know that the Holy Spirit is represented by the oil that was in the menorah that would even make it possible for the, the flame to be burning brightly so that you could see in order 
order to love the Lord or to minister for the Lord or anything like that. My whole point is this. I think the context would demand that we see this in a little bit of a priestly way because uh, Jesus Christ is the great high priest of, of Hebrews and the ones that the priests were pointing to in the Old Testament. Therefore, we need no more priests. Thank you very much, Roman Catholicism. We've got Jesus Christ, who is the high priest, that he's made one sacrifice for all. Now he's seated in the heavenlies. So I would see this a little leaning toward a priestly type presentation, but also with kingly implications. So we see Christ as the the priest king who is the one who is trimming the wicks of the church, who is making sure that the Holy Spirit is filled up full of the church. He is in the midst making sure that the church is operating like the church should operate and that the church is shining bright just like it should be. And when it starts to dim, when it starts to go astray, he's the high priest that comes back and says, whoa, whoa. He makes intercession, John chapter 17, that he prays on our behalf. Father, I pray that they would become one just just as we are one. So he's continually interceding for us. He's the one that made sacrifice for us. He's the one that leads us and guides us and makes sure that we're shining bright. So Jesus Christ is our high priest, and he is in the midst of this church and in the midst of the churches, making sure that they are burning bright and that the glory of God is being displayed. You see how it so flows together? Now, you might have read this. You're like, I don't know, what does that mean? But now, let me ask, just so I know... Is this coming to life for you more now than it ever has? Raise your hand if it is. It should be. It shouldn't be something that's just impossible to understand. Because it's very understandable with a little bit of context. If you want some of these contexts, write these verses down. Uh, the whole book of Daniel, the whole book of Exodus, and every other book in the Old Testament. <laughs> but realistically, realistically... Daniel chapters 7 and 10, Zechariah chapters 4 and 12, uh, Daniel chapter 7, I'll say that one twice, Daniel chapter 3, uh, Daniel chapter 12, I don't know if I said that might be the second time, and Exodus chapter 40 and all of Exodus, but Exodus chapter 40 kind of lays out the temple for us and, and some of those things. So go and read some of that, check up behind me, I'll call you more noble than the rest. So in the midst, he sees this in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of God who is uh, absolutely, this is in implications of Jesus Christ making sure that the church is where the church should be. And it says, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around the chest. This is a, a priestly, kingly presentation of who Christ is. And it doesn't really matter which way you, you, you lean on that because he is the high priest and he is the king of kings, so you can't really go wrong. So we understand this to have implications of both. And it says then, it says, the hairs on his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were a flame of fire. Let's go back to verse 14. The hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow. In, in the scriptures, white hair is a crown of splendor. It is an indication of wisdom. So hats off to Mark. He wins. So <laughs> I had to, I had to. Uh, so what this is telling us is, is that not only is Jesus Christ our king priest or our priest king who makes intercession for us, who fills us with the Holy Spirit, who makes sure that we're burning brightly for all the world to see and to, to, to hearken people to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, but he is wise. 
He is the ancient of days of Daniel. He is Yahweh. He is the great I am. He knows the beginning from the end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. There's nothing that his eyes don't see, that his ears don't hear, and that his mind can't comprehend. He is Yahweh. And this is all to say, you might be, let's remember why John is writing in the situation he's in. He's in of the fire. So he's told us about the one who is in the midst of the church. He's told us about the one who has been in the furnace and saved others from the furnace. He's told us about the priest who makes intercession while we're struggling with our sin and with the sins against us. And now he's telling us that the one who helps us with all this knows everything already anyway. There's nothing that comes your way. There's no trial. There's no tribulation. There's no trouble. There's no suffering that he didn't see coming a mile away. And not only that, hold on, that he prescribed for you. You say, hold on. Hold on. You mean to tell me that Jesus is the author of that trial? We've talked about this before. Some people, if you want to hold to omniscience and omnipotence, that God knows everything and can do anything, if you want to hold to that, then you are left in one of two places. Either it was directly brought about by his sovereign hand, or he allowed it. Either way, it had to come through his hand. And we know that God works all things together for the greater good of those who love and are called according to his purpose, right? So we know that whatever's going on, not only did he know about it, but he allowed it or did it in order to perfect you for him. Therefore, you say, well, what kind, of, what kind of sermon is this? I come to the well and they tell me God's out to get me. No, you see, we understand that even in your trials, there's purpose. This is how you carry through your tribulation, is to know that everything that's happening to me is for a reason, Jordan. I can hold on. You know, it's hard to get hit in the mouth for no reason. It's really hard. But... If I've, got a, if I've got an enemy, Keith, come here. Let's do a demonstration. This is fly by the seat of my pants. Style stuff. This is going to be good, though. All right, lay down on the ground. On your back. Lay that way a little bit. No. Turn your feet this way. And yeah, yeah. All right, now, it's hard to get hit for no reason, right? That stinks. Why did you even hit me? That's bad. But if Heath is a burglar who's broken my house and my kids are upstairs and my wife is in the bed and I've met him downstairs and I've got him like this and hit me in the face, not hard, and he's hitting me, I can keep getting hit for a long time, right? Because I ain't letting this sucker go, you know? Why? Why? This is weird. <laughs> peculiar. A peculiar people. Why? Can I just, you know, if somebody just walks up and hits me in the mouth, well, I, you know, now I might fight them, but, but, uh, but you know, somebody that, you just go away, you know, what's this? I ain't going to get hit no more. But if I'm on the ground with him and my wife's in, in the bedroom and my kids are upstairs and I'm, you can hit me till the cows come home, you better knock me out because I'm not going to let go. As a matter of fact, the more you hit me, the harder I'm going to go. And that's real. And I'm going to hit you back hard. That's why I go to the gym. Just so when somebody breaks into my house, I can have an excuse. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. 
But the whole point is this, is that if you've got a purpose in your trial, you can last through it when Jesus is your purpose. You see? You see how Jesus even transforms our trials. You see, everybody's like, well, Jesus loves you. has a wonderful, wonderful plan for your life. Well, that wonderful plan might be getting boiled alive. Tarred and feathered, crucified upside down. But even that can be glory. Even that can be glory. You see, my king, he's not just a good king in the good times. He's a good king in all times. I should have had more amens on that. Because that was just good, okay? So you see, he gives purpose. And, and the whole reason we got to this place is that it says the hairs of his head were white, white like wool, like snow. This is wisdom. This is, this is uh, omniscience. This is this, this, this proclamation, so to speak, in visual form that Jesus Christ knows all things. Now, the whiteness of the wool of his hair would have not only carried with it wisdom and, and this type of this elder, but it would also signify uh, sanctification. Purity, holiness, this, this God who is purely white, his robe is white in Revelation 19, which is one of my favorites. It says that, 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 that he's wearing a white robe that's dipped in the blood of his enemies. Now, who comes to a fight wearing white? A bad man. The winner. That's right. I mean, when you see, when you see somebody stroll up in a white shirt and they ain't worried, oh, Lord. You're about to see something good, right? Or something bad. I don't know. But you see, this whiteness, this, this white hair is twofold, if you ask me. Twofold in that it's perfect wisdom with perfect holiness. You see, so he knows all things, but he's not twisting and manipulating. You see, some of you, you'll get information on somebody, and that information can be used to destroy because you don't have the holiness to go along with it. Now, some of you might have the holiness, but you don't have the wisdom. So all your good intentions really foul things up because you don't know what to say. But Jesus Christ is perfectly holy and perfectly wise. He gives us the right information. And he gives us the right advice. Sitting with people, I'll never understand how when I counsel with people or listen to people or give them biblical advice, I try my best just to almost quote entirely scripture. And I'll have to, to do some work on some of that, especially if they don't know the scriptures. But when I sit with a man or I sit with a couple or if I sit with a woman and I give them the direct scriptures, I can be sure that if they'll do these things, it will go well with them. I don't have to wonder if I got it right, if I read them the Bible. You can trust him. You can trust his word. Let's go on. The hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet, like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. We go back to the furnace, which absolutely highlights and affirms, I believe, that uh, the Son of Man, uh, who's in the midst of the churches, who's refined in a furnace, is the same as Daniel chapter 3, verse 25. But he says here, his eyes were like a flame of fire. Now, what does this mean? This same uh, vision here is seen in Zechariah. Uh, I think the same vision is also seen in uh, Daniel chapter 12. Uh, it, it, this, this idea is that he sees through everything. 
Revelation 19 has the same vision, that a sword is coming out of his mouth. We'll see in a second. His eyes were a flaming fire. You see, fire in the, in the text, in the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament, uh, is for uh, refining. It's for cleaning up uh, what shouldn't be there. And the, the whole kicker is this, okay? Now, catch this, men and women of God. Now, some of you unbelievers in here, uh, and there are some, I'm sure, this many people. Some of you unbelievers, you're not going to make it through the fire. I don't, know how to, I don't know how to put that any other way. So become believers today, I guess. But you believers in here, this is another reason that the, that the suffering, that the affliction, that the tribulation can be looked at as a positive thing in your life and can be grasped and even, as James says, count it all joy when you encounter various trials and tribulations. For what? It is producing perseverance. That it is proving you. It's proving you. You see, when, the, when the, the Lord Jesus Christ looks on us with fire and the fire comes in judgment, you see, God judges the righteous and the unrighteous. The unrighteous is judged uh, with wrath. The righteous is judged with sanctifying truth, which makes them better. One is eternal torment. One is eternal glory. So you see, if you're not a believer, it would make sense why you can't last through the tribulation. That's why when I go to a marriage counseling session, my first question is, do you know Christ? Because if you don't know Christ, I don't see how you can make it through it. You might postpone the inevitable, or you might put a Band-Aid on it and fool yourself, but without Christ, there's no way to make it through the fire. You say, what are you talking about? This process of refining and purification this process of refining and purification went something like this. It was done with gold and silver and all these precious metals. And what you did was, is that you would heat it to a certain temperature. And when you heated this, pure, this metal to a certain temperature, it would melt it down. And all the, what's called dross, would uh, either burn up. The dross is the impurities in there. It's the things that shouldn't be. Now, this metal is good. It's right. It's pure, but it's got impurities in it. So they would put it into the furnace, and they would heat it, and this metal would melt, and all of the dross, the impurities, would float to the top. And they would take this tool, and they would dip off this dross and throw it away, or it would just burn up. And the only thing that was left was the pure metal. So you may be going through a trial right now. May very well be. Jesus said very, very clearly, why are, you, why are you surprised they hate you? They hated me first, and I'm your master. If they hated me, they're most assuredly going to hate you. Trials are going to come, just like death is going to come. To people you love, maybe to you, Trials are going to come to people you love, maybe you. But at the end of the day, those afflictions, even death, in Christ, are, they only serve to take us to a better place. That's all. It says that even Christ was refined by fire. You see, he knows, he is able to divide all the way down to the thoughts and desires. These flaming eyes, they serve to, to judge the believer and the unbeliever. They serve to look at a man and say, this is good 
this is bad. Repent of this. Turn away from this. Turn toward this. But not only does he judge what's right and what's wrong, but it says his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. This could mean several different things, but I think primarily it means that he treads out with these, with these magnificent metal feet. He treads out and he does away with those things that shouldn't be there. That he is refined in a furnace. It says that through the cross of Christ, because of the cross of Christ and the, the, the sacrifice that he, that he made, he is exalted. His name is lifted up above every name. The cool thing is, is that that high priest that made sacrifice once for all, that, that intercedes for the saints, that is in the midst of the lampstands, you see that high priest, we have a high priest who he, he, he can sympathize with us. He can understand because he was tempted in every way, just like we are. Just like we are, yet he did not sin. You see, we don't, we don't serve a God who's never suffered. We don't serve a God who hasn't been in the fire. We don't serve a God who sits up in his, in his lofty places being fed grapes and points his finger at his subjects. No. No. We serve a great God who came down out of heaven, who took on flesh just like me. He was beaten, bruised, and battered just like me. Far worse even, he went to a cruel Roman cross and they ripped the flesh from his back. And you know where I want to lash out, Jesus didn't. He says his hair was like white wool. You know, it just takes me to this thought of a, a pure white sheep. And the text says that like a sheep before it shearers. He went to the cross for us, yet he didn't even open his mouth. We lash out at each other. We lash out at our husbands. We lash out at our wives. And Jesus Christ went to the cross and had the flesh ripped from his back. And he didn't even lash out at you. Yet he cried out to the Father, Please forgive them. They just don't understand. They just don't know what they're doing. Forgive them, Father. Refining the furnace was he. And then it says his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. I don't want to gloss over all this. I've got a little bit more time. You see, he's refined in the furnace and so he was the suffering servant. You see, Christ was a suffering servant. He, he went to the cross on my behalf and on your behalf. Isn't that great? But he did not remain the suffering servant, but yet was resurrected from the grave and exalted on high. You see, that's where our victory lays. We have a high priest. We have a God who came down and went through what we went through, suffered the way we suffer, and even to a greater degree suffered in our place to pay for our sins, to make atonement for our sins, to make intercession 
for us. He went into the grave. But unlike us who cannot escape our sin because we are sinful, He escaped the grave, resurrected from the dead, and now gives us the right to be called sons and daughters of God. Amen? He does. You say, you say, did you just go off text there, preacher, or did you just get excited? Listen to what he says. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice like the roar of many waters. When Jesus Christ opens his mouth, stuff happens. You see, he's the creator. He is the beginning and the end. He is powerful. So not only does he, uh, is he able to suffer with us and sympathize with us and, and know what we're going through, he's able to do something about it. When he opens his mouth, people pay attention. Let me tell you something right now. All these things that you have in place to help. Maybe they're good. Maybe they're not. But Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And He is able. He is able. The last section says this. And this is a great place to end because He says in verse 16... In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. I don't want to do this injustice, so I'm going to take a little bit of time. It says here, it says, in his right hand, he held seven stars. If you, if you know what the seven stars are, now it says the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, but it goes a little bit deeper than that. I want to point out just a couple of things. In, uh, in Daniel chapter 12, verse 3, and around in that section, it speaks of uh, the man of the heavens. And it speaks of this tribulation setting aside these stars, which in that context represented the righteous remnant of Israel. That, that God would, would resurrect, that, that he would give the right to, to life, that he would bring them to life, that they, would, that they would remain because of what Christ has done. Now, in that day, he was speaking to Daniel, this prophecy about these, this righteous remnant, this, these righteous people that would be raised up on that day when Jesus Christ would come in resurrection glory and resurrection power. They would be lifted up. These are called the stars. And here he says that in his right hand, he held the seven stars. Now, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. There's, we will get to the angels of the seven churches in, in chapter 1, verse 20, so I'll talk a little bit more about that later. But either way you want to look at it, if it's the angel of the church or the messenger, because angel can just be messenger, if it's the, the, the messenger of the church, which might be the pastor or the preacher, or if it's the angel of the church, either way, either way, Jesus Christ is holding these churches and their leaders and their, their representatives. He's got them in his hand. He's got them in his hand. And this hand is representative of his sovereignty. Now, I know that, that this whole issue of sovereignty is debated in our day. And we say, well, God's not responsible for this. God's not responsible for that. I, I don't whatever. You, 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 I got my opinion. You can have yours. But the God I serve, he's got it all in his hand. 
He knows the beginning from the end and everything in the middle. There's nothing you can do to turn him from you. There's nothing you can do to, to sway his hand. When he wants it done, he gets it done. And Jesus Christ himself said what? Who will snatch them from my hand? Church. Believers. Believers. He's got you. He's got you. Amen. I wonder if that's where they got that song. He's got the whole world in his hands. 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 Well, he's got the believers in his hands for sure. He's got those that would come to Christ. He's got them in his hand. And from his mouth come a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the, shine, like the, the sun shining in full strength. I'm going to turn over here to Judges chapter 5, and I'm going to leave you with this. This sharp two-edged sword, I don't need to say a ton about because it's, it's really, really indicative of the same that the, the, the flaming, fiery eyes, except for I would make one little preface here. And that is the, the sword that is coming out of his mouth is none other than the Word of God. The Word of God is highly attacked in our day. Even among believers. They want to go to this scientific uh, spectrum and they're going to say, Well, we know that the Bible can't really be true in this area, in this area, in this way because science has said this. If I had the time, I could show you how that's silly. It's just silly. But at the end of the day, God's Word has proven and remained to be the anchor on which all of this hinges. Jesus Christ is the Word made flesh. And I want to tell you right now, you can fall into this secularism and this naturalism and all these other things. You can try as much as you want to. One, you won't disprove God's Word. Number two, you will not find another meaningful explanation for any of this. Number three, if you don't have God's Word, then I don't understand how you could know Jesus in any meaningful way. You see, the Word that comes out of Christ's mouth is the Word of God. And it separates the, the wheat from the chaff, the righteous from the unrighteous, the goats from the sheep. He is dividing down the middle. And he is the only way. He is the only path. He is the only one that can show you the righteous and the unrighteous, the right and the wrong. He is the only one. You shall have no other gods before you. None. Christ alone is God. He is the word of God. And the last place, as we all stand to our feet, says his face was like the sun shining in full strength. It's a rainy day outside. And I believe that God gives us these pictures, and he gives us nature. We understand that, that the heavens declare the glory of, of God, and the sky shows his handiwork. We understand that. We understand that all of nature displays and proclaims his glory. So much so that it's efficient enough for the condemnation of those who refuse to believe in God. 
But when we become believers, when our eyes are open to the truth, when our minds are enlightened to the heavenly things, we look out and we go out. And if we went out right now and it was raining on us, we know that the rain is from God. But when the sun comes out, we stand in all of its glory. We say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Because that, that sunshine on our face. Well, listen to what the the prophet said in Judges. He said, So may all your enemies perish, O Lord, but your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might. Did you hear what I just said? Let me read it again. Now, this this is the end of this sermon. What we've been talking about, <laughs> what we've been talking about is, is you and me, the, the, the friends of God. Now, there's some unbelievers in here who think that, you know, Jesus isn't God or they think there is no God or, you know, you've done mouth service, but you've not been changed and born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God isn't in you. But I'm, and I will hope that changes today. I believe in the power of God and the proclamation of the word can do that. But to you believers in here. We've been talking today about the enemies of God coming after us, about persecution that falls on us, about tribulation that finds us, about the enemies, God's enemies and and those that are our enemies coming against us and coming against the Lord and, and, and trying to hurt us, right? And John has said, look, look, you can hold on. You can hold on because of who? Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus who is right in the midst of the churches. Trimming those wicks and pouring in that oil. And fanning that flame. You can can hang on because of Jesus. You can. Because because he's been through the very same thing. and, And he knows what's coming. Not only does he know what's coming. He's got it planned just for you. And I know it'll hurt. I know. I know it'll hurt, but, but, but it's for your good and for his glory. So you can hold on because Jesus knows. He's, he's very wise, and he's got pure motives because he's, he's holy. So, yeah, he's bringing, a, he's bringing a, a switch or he's letting something come, but he knows that when it's all said and done, when it's all said and done, that, that, that you'll come out on the other side more pure because the high priest knows how to make intercession for those who he cares for. So maybe the the furnace is getting hot, but it's going to be okay because, you see, this this God-man is in the furnace with you. And he carries you through. And on the other end, you won't even smell like smoke. You know, we can can be carried through the tribulation and we can withstand the punches to the face and and the attack of the enemy because, because not only does he know, but he can do something about it. I mean, this God... Even when he speaks, it's not like me. You know, I get excited, but when he opens his mouth, it's like the rush of many waters. It's like the the ocean that's constant. It never never fails. Oh, it never fails. You see, he knows what you're going through, but he can do something about it. And you know what, guys? I know you're going through it, but he's got you in his hand. He's got you in his hand. And, and not only does he got you in his hand, but he's got a sword coming out of his mouth, which, which he'll strike down the nations. All those who come against you, they'll pay the price. He'll even take that same sword that he's going to, to wipe out the nations with, and he'll, he'll be a little more gentle with it. 
but he'll slice you right down the middle. And he'll do surgery. And he'll, he'll pick out the, in, the, the impurities. And just like you've been wounded by shrapnel, he'll, he'll take that out so it doesn't infect. Making you pure. And then one day, guys, one day, that sun's going to rise in a way that he's never before. He's risen. He's risen. But when he comes on the cloud, when he comes on the clouds and his glory, when we, even after that, when we, when we come into his presence, into the throne room, into the heavens, oh, wait till we get to Revelation chapter 4, and you see the, the, the throne of God and it radiating brightness like you've never seen and it all radiates from him whose face shines like the sun and and from the throne are great flashes of lightning and and this display of glory like you've never it just take your breath away you see guys though we might suffer momentary affliction it's nothing it's nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed even in us God's elect God's chosen people that he's redeemed and we can trust that so many so his enemies will perish but his friends believers you and me his friends will be like the sun as he rises in his might Jesus has got you and all this that he's doing man I just could just keep going because Romans chapter 8 says that, that all things work together for the greater good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It goes on to say that they might be conformed to the image of the Son. You see what the word said? His friends will be like him as he rises, as the sun that rises. All of these things, men and women of God, I'll just hold on. Look to Christ, the author and the perfecter of your faith. And as you go through these things, when you lean on him and you glorify him, you will come out looking like him. Amen? Amen, church? Amen. We're going to open up the front for just a time of invitation and response. If you've been going through something, you just don't know how you can make it through it, get on your face before the Lord. You can do it there. You can do it here. There's nothing special about this. Jesus is the altar. This isn't an altar. This is... This is a place where we can come and talk about Jesus. Jesus is the altar. But I want you to know that, that I'll be here. I'll be praying for you. I've got several couples that I'm just pleading for right now. I'm pleading for them. So this morning, you respond to God however he's called you to respond. If you don't know this king and you're going to perish in the fire, you're not going to make it, you don't have to be that way. You don't. If you've never given your life to Christ, if he's never called you from darkness into light, get your tail up here. Let's talk. Is there any out there right now that just say, Pastor, that's me. I want a relationship with God. Any out there who needs to be saved today? Today is the day of salvation. Anybody want to commit to the Lord Jesus Christ? It's up to you. It's on you. Well, let's respond then since you're all believers. And let's come and do business with God. Okay? Amen. Is the word of God good or what? He's good. He's good.